Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. On tonight's show, Michael Gable of Fairmont Equities goes to the charts to see if this tech stocks rebound has legs or could fall over again. He looks at my Zeke stocks, Zip, Elmo Software, EML Payments, and Tyro, as well as Zero. Then AMP Capital's Shane Oliver looks at the budget and tells us if it would be good for stocks. And he also tests out my call that stocks could be up 10% this year. And then we find out what Dr. Nicola Powell, who is Chief of Research and Economics for Domain.com.au, thinks will happen to house prices. Will they fall this year and next? And is it a good time for property investors? So let's just kick off with Mike Gable of Fairmont Equities. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. So, um, by the way, I should tell everybody that the reason why I've got an unusual background is I am in Port Douglas uh, in a hotel, uh, but I'm back in rainy Sydney for next week's show. But, Mike, uh, I've asked you to look at tech stocks because you know, I've been trying willing them to have a bit of a, a turnaround, and I kind of thought sometime this year fund managers will start buying them again. They've mm. had a good couple of weeks, and so I thought – I guess you to look at some of the stocks that I've often been looking at, uh, particularly my Zeet stocks, which was something I created a year or so ago. See how they're going. Particularly, I, I, I wanted to add to a, a company like Zero, which is seen as being a, a quality tech company. Well, the other ones are good businesses, but probably aren't seen as being as blue chip as Zero potentially is. So, um, so I've asked you to look at these tech stocks. Let's start off with one that's really had a a tough time lately, namely Zip. And looking at the chart so far, it doesn't look like the, the turnaround to me has actually started. What do you think? That's that's right, Peter. And um, look, with these with these tech stocks that I've looked at, there is one that looks very good. Um, but Zip, unfortunately, not one of them yet. Um, still in that downtrend. Yeah. If I try to look at other indicators, trying to you know find something that's perhaps telling me that it might be bottoming out. Um, I'm just not seeing anything yet, unfortunately. So I think this one's uh, still for the sidelines at the moment. Yeah. And, we, and you and I have talked about this in the, in the past as well, as, as, as well as my conversation with Julia Lee. It was likely that the, the, the better quality tech stocks were likely to take off before the, the lesser ones or the ones that are more challenged. I think... Mm. The payment space is a really challenged space, even though I think they're all good, or many of them are good companies. The payment space is really challenged. And uh, we've seen Afterpay and via Square, or now called Block, make a bit of a comeback. It may well be the, the, the trailblazer, but I think there's going to need a little bit more to go on in those particular businesses before we see a real, real turnaround. Yeah, I think so. And a lot of tech stocks, I mean, the charts look very similar. They've all you know, most of them peaked sort of, you know, first, second quarter last year and have been on the slide. But the point you make about the quality ones moving first, that's that's something I always pay a lot of attention to in sell-offs like what we've had recently because, you know, when the market still looks ordinary but you have some stocks going against the tide, um, you know, that, that, that tends to, they tend to be the stocks that do well over the following few months or so. Yeah. And eventually, Mike, probably the... The, the next companies down eventually get picked up when they 
the first trailblazers are probably overbought. So it, that can happen, can't they? They can, they can actually get yeah. benefits by being in the, the the slipstream of the of the trailblazers. Yeah, that's right. If you know if the market bounces and it and it's sustainable for a period of time, eventually those who miss the first round of of, of stocks rallying tend to think, well, they've moved too far. So what's next down the list? And yeah. um, and they try to find something that appears to be better value. Yeah, exactly. Let's go to another one, uh, Elmo Software, which I know has had a, a good week or so. Mm. What's the overall chart telling you? This one's, yeah, this still has a downtrend to it. Um, the good thing about ELO is that it has had that very strong bounce in March. The only issue with that is it's probably bounced a little bit too hard. I would have preferred to see a bit more, bit more of a base form. Um, but just looking at all the peaks and troughs, uh, there's a major peak near $4.50. So it's, it's getting close to that level. Judging by what it's been doing the last year, we'll probably see some selling kick in here and the share price come down. Now, that will be the real test as to whether we do have a proper low or not. So um, if the share price falls back fairly sharply, so we could see with ELO over the last year, every it has had a few um, very nice bounces, but it has then come down very sharply again. So the real test now is with the selling, can it be met with almost equal buying? So if I was looking to buy ELO, I'd be wanting to see the share price pretty much not go anywhere back near $4. I want to see it stay at these sorts of levels over the next few weeks. So yes, people are uh, people are most likely going to be selling near $4.50. I can almost guarantee that. But I want to see enough buying come in that it moves sideways for a while. And then if it can punch through $4.50, that would grab my attention. So again, look, not a buy, but it is showing signs that uh, you know there's a possibility it could be bottoming out. Yeah, starting to look interesting. Email payments, it has had a pretty uh, good run in recent times, but is it convincing for you? Um, pretty much same story as with, with the mm. prior one. So we've got a very strong um, bounce. It hasn't really done a lot of work down here and it's getting close to a previous peak near about 320, 330. So, um, you know, even if we get another update, I don't think it's going to progress much. And again, I'd like to see uh, more of a flat consolidation here as opposed to it just falling back over and making a making a new low. Hmm. Okay. Let's email payments. Let's go to Tyro now. Um, and I guess it hasn't had a, a big bounce. It's sort of trying to climb out from what mm. might be its bottom. But what, what are you seeing, Matt? That's that's right. So the 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 bounce off that, that February low has been um, pretty weak. So I just think that at best, this one will continue to go sideways. We may even see um, a retest of that February low. But again, I think this one's uh, a bit too early. Look, to me, it just looks like it needs to base out a bit more because it's just had a lot of sharp falls. Um, and unlike ELO and EML, where they've then bounced very strongly, it's just, yeah, it has really sort of struggled to gain any, any traction. Mm. All right. So... None of those have excited you, but <laughs> one tech stock did. So we're coming yeah. to zero now. So, which of course, you know, I, I said earlier, is regarded as a blue chip tech stock. So, what is the chart for zero telling you? 
Yeah, I like it. So I have to, I have to give you something, Peter. This one's a good one. So, um, you know, we don't have to wait everything out there, but I like zero. This is one I've been um, picking up for clients myself in the last day or two. So I think this one's finally bottomed. Um, so it wasn't really making much progress in the middle of last year. Um, you know, we, we we tried to have a go at this one and um, last year and just got out. Um, sort of in those 140 region, you could see that unlike some of the other tech stocks, the downtrend didn't start a year ago. It only really started in the last few months. So it, it was more a, a story around rising rates and withdrawal of QE, um, which which has made it made things worse for for these type of stocks. But but the way it's trading to me suggests that it has found a bit of a low. So um, you know, the first thing I noticed was. You know, sort of late Feb, early March, it started to level out. Um, the indicator at the bottom is the, the RSI. Uh, so a little double bottom there, but what we've got is the, the bottom on the right-hand side a bit higher than the one on the left-hand side, mm. even though the share price went lower. So this isn't something we've seen with the other tech stocks um, that we just spoke about. Um, it's only with zero. Uh, and that's something that we spoke about a few weeks ago when I was talking about the broader market it was displaying this sort of setup and we called it bullish divergence and the market should should bounce and and it has. So now zero's, uh, I think, in the same sort of setup. So it's starting to rally. There was some, some decent resistance levels at $100 and then 105. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I don't like to try to pick the bottom. I'd like to see that it's, you know, progressed around, uh, mm. progressed beyond some major levels. Um, so look, I was, I was buying zero yes, as recently as yesterday. So I think that, um, that it looks like there's a good low in place. Um, you know, is it going to go back to $150 in the next few months? I mean, that's anyone's guess, but, you know, even if it can make a move back up to the one thirties as a bit of a recovery, I think there's a good, uh, you know, that that's a good bounce. And I mean, if we have a look at, uh, at its value compared to sales over the last few years, it, it is at the bottom of that range. So, yeah, I'm expecting a bit of a recovery here in zero. Okay, that's a good one. Now, I, I always invite you to give us what you think is really looking promising charts-wise, and this time it's aristocrat leisure. Yeah, so normally, I mean, in the last sort of few months or so, most of the good good opportunities have been in resources. So I've managed to find something that's, that's not a resource stock for once. Um, you know, we really like the business uh, of Aristocrat. So we, you know, we sold this when it broke the downtrend back in December, but I've been buying back into Aristocrat, <clears throat> excuse me, in the last couple of days. So basically what I'm seeing on the chart is that at that final low in March, it looked like a bit of a capitulation and then it bounced back really strongly. So it looked like to me a, a changing of, you know, from the weekends to the, to the strong hands and what it's done is it's put in a couple of high highs and lows over the last couple of weeks the share price has eased back um, quite slowly so where we've seen previously the pullbacks being quite sharp the most recent pullback in the last couple of weeks has, has been a bit a bit more orderly and then it's found some nice support at 36 um, and then bounced as i've circled there on the far right hand side so yeah, a lot of lines on this chart, but basically my, my opinion is that it looks like we've, I think there's a high chance there's a low in place um, for Aristocrat and I'm expecting a recovery from him. Okay, man. 
Now, just before you go, I, I haven't asked you to look at Magellan, but it really has had a, a nice bounce this week. I don't know mm. if you, you've had a look at it. A lot of my um, you know, uh, subscribers uh, were keen to know whether Magellan uh, was getting close to its bottom. I know poor Ricard earlier this week thought it was still in, in a falling knife. Mm. A guy's large about $14 and it's now over 16 have you had a chance to have a bit of a look at Magellan? Um, I, I did. I, I do see it. Every, you know, I do have a look at it every every now and then, just as part of you know my daily routine. It's not. But having said that, it's not one I'd be looking to buy. So the chart still looks ugly. I mean, one one or two days up, it's not enough uh, for me. But my concern around the business is, you know, knowing, you know, how leveraged these businesses are to their funds under management. Um, you know, great when it's increasing. They they go off like a rocket, and I've been in Magellan before mm. and experienced that. But it but it works both ways. So, you know, their their funds under management continues to suffer, and also their performance hasn't really bounced back um, at the start of the year. So, a business like this, you know, if people want to put their hard earned money with, you know, whether it's you, Peter, or myself, or any of these fund managers, they're going to look at Magellan and say, well, these guys. You know, we need a lot more evidence that um, that they're on track. So, therefore, we're looking at another couple of years, I think, of, you know, they need to get solid. They need to make some solid returns on their funds for another year or two until um, people feel confident to, to go back. So, I'd, I'd be just steering clear for the time. So, yeah, it is a falling knife, I think. So, those who are buying now are playing a thrill-seekers game. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's um, you know, it'd be up seven percent one day and then down five percent the next. It's uh, you know, how do you predict that? Okay, fantastic. I, I might get you to have a look at it in a, a few, uh, maybe a couple of months' time to see if it's getting a, a turnaround situation. Sure. I think some pretty important information comes out in the middle of April. That could, some people may will be buying in anticipation that it could be some good news, but that's fingers crossed investing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but we can look at it. Yeah, we'll look at it yeah. in a couple of months. Great stuff. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Well, after a budget, I always like to talk to someone like Shane Oliver, who uh, has a pretty good handle on the economic numbers that are critically important to a budget. Shane, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Peter. Hey Shane, I looked at the numbers and some of them I thought to myself, gee, they look a little bit. Well, I did use the number of the uh, reference rubbery figures. Um, and some of them are rubbery and I like them. And, and some of them I just a bit suspicious of. Did you get similar feelings? Well, I had lots of feelings with the budget. Um, it, it does seem like a bit of a magic pudding to me in the sense that there's a massive amount of extra spending, most of which will hit the economy this year. There's about $26 billion in extra spending uh, just this financial year and next financial year, mostly hitting this calendar year. But by the same token, we've got a massively lower budget deficits. Um, and so, it, I mean, part of that is because they've upwardly revised their nominal growth forecasts and we've got higher commodity prices. But you do sort of wonder here that, as I said, it is a bit like a magic pudding. Um, something will give at some point, either the, the very strong growth numbers will subside. And that, of course, so will mean lower or higher deficits going forward than currently projected. All that extra spending that they're pumping into the economy proves too much and just puts pressure on the Reserve Bank. 
Um, so I do have some concerns about the budget, even though at a very high level, it is heading in the right direction and we are seeing a reduction in the deficit over time. Yeah. But the thing I liked about Shane was we're looking at that growth number, like 4.25% for the financial year we're in now, lying over the 3.5% next year. I've got a funny feeling that 3.5 is going to be a bit bigger than 3.5. What's your feeling? It is quite possible. Our own growth numbers are a little bit higher. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that could be higher. You could also argue that the assumption that the iron ore price will fall back to $55 by September, it's been mm. pushed out from March, um, is also a bit conservative, which means given the iron ore price is north of $130 a tonne, depending on which grade you look at, um, then th there's also potential more revenue coming in there. And if commodity prices generally remain a lot higher than the government's assuming, then you get more revenue coming in. So you can argue lots of different directions with this uh, budget in terms of the assumptions that have gone into it. Um, but I mean, th there's things to like about it. Deficit coming down. We have seen an upgrade in growth. Can't deny the fact that the Aussie economy, Australia has handled COVID far better than any other country. There's a couple of graphs in there I love. One showing that uh, if we had the OECD average in terms of deaths per million, we would have lost an extra 46,000 Australians. Um, and by protecting Australians, we've also seen a faster recovery in the economy and the jobs market. So that's the good news. Mm. Bad news, I guess, is that I regard the excise duty cut as bad economic policy. And I do worry that they're pumping a little bit too much stimulus into the economy in the very short term, which may put a bit of pressure on the Reserve Bank. Um, so, yeah, I do have some concerns about this budget, even though I like the fact that we are getting the deficit down and we have been helped by the fact that we've handled COVID much better than other countries have. Yeah, and, and also, Shane, if peace talks, which seem to be improving overnight, actually do come along and the oil price falls, that's going to be like a, a double win for consumers. Prices down, uh, the exercise duty down, you're right. And that made me wonder whether the inflation number was a little bit on the low side as well. What did you think? It is quite possible. Um, obviously, as uh, petrol prices, if petrol prices come down because of the fuel excise cut, I mean, roughly speaking, uh, yeah, the fuel excise should knock about 22 cents a litre off the petrol price. I know it gets complicated. The fuel companies will say it's not that easy, but that's roughly how it works. You've got to, it'll come down 22 cents a litre. So that's mm. quite a big reduction. In the meantime, you're giving money to people, um, a bigger Lamito or the Lamington as some economists call it, the low and middle income tax offset will go up by $420. So an extra $420 there, $250 to welfare recipients. So you could be pumping more money in at a time when the petrol price falls back. Um, we end up with a lower petrol price than we had prior to uh, the invasion of Ukraine. So, yeah, there is that risk that you get uh, this sort of double whammy of stimulus getting pumped into the economy. Yeah, sure, lower petrol prices, but overall more pressure on inflation. I, I guess that's the risk the government takes. I, I don't think they would have cut fuel excise were it not for the election um, likely to be within the next two months. Yeah. Um, so putting it all together, it seems to me consumers are due to really um, deliver big time because of the budget and the $280 billion were stashed away in our bank accounts because we were locked up. Business investment uh, um, to be 9% next year, that's a big number as well. So, and also if, if um, the, the price of fuel is coming down to businesses, 
I'm sure lots of companies were factoring in their uh, their profit outlooks, the implications of higher oil prices, which are going to be now coming down. It seems to me this budget is good for the stock market. Would you agree with me? Like it, yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, maybe that's been factored in because we've seen a good rebound over the last few days. We will see a bit more today because of the rally coming through from Wall Street. Um, but it is positive for the stock market. Uh, I mean, if you look at it, we're one of the only uh, share markets, the only major share markets to be up year to date, uh, along with the UK, I think is another one and a few emerging market commodity producers like Brazil and Mexico. Um, mm. A lot of other countries have still got their share markets down year to date. I know it's been a rough ride, but if you just think about it, to, to take on some of your points, um, we are seeing a strong economy. We are seeing more support pumped in via the government. Yes, the Reserve Bank will start to raise interest rates and may raise them by more than I was previously expecting because of that extra stimulus, but they're still going to be pretty low. You're still going to have pretty low interest rates at the end of the year, even if they get to 1%. Um, in historical context, a 1% cash rate is still pretty low. Um, and in the meantime, you've got this environment of global recovery, albeit it gets confusing from time to time, um, issues around whether we're having the war or not. You know, hopefully it goes away, but um, if it continues, that, that, concept, that context of global recovery, um, constrained supply is good for commodity producers, which is what Australia is, again, which supports the Australian share market. Um, and then finally, Australian companies still paying good dividends, fantastic dividends, dividend yield around 5%, just above that if you uh, put in franking credits, um, is going to be pretty attractive compared to whatever you're going to get out of government bonds or cash uh, bank deposits. Um, so, yeah, overall share market outlook still looks reasonably good. I, th I think it's going to be a rougher year, <laughs> not going to be as good as last year. Um, and there's lots of things that are going to cause volatility, including Ukraine. Um, but overall, I'd say this budget is positive for the share market and maintains that momentum it's been seeing in the last, uh, last few days. This might surprise you, um, Shane, but I was reasonably optimistic at the beginning of this year that our market could be up about 10% for the year. Uh, and on the, on the basis, I thought that commodities, financials and energy stocks would do well even before Ukraine. Um, am I a chance to be right? Okay, there's certainly a chance there. I mean, the, the number did go negative for a while. It was minus 10%. At that low point in uh, late January, the Aussie market was down 10% from its cyclical high which was back in August. So it, it got off to a bad start. And of course, everyone wheels out the so-called January barometer. As goes January, so goes the year. But guess what? It doesn't always work so well, no, particularly doesn't. for negative Januaries. It mainly works when you've got a positive January. Um, but you know, since then, we've seen a good rebound. The Aussie share market is up year to date. We'll be up a little bit more today. Um, and I think you know, I wouldn't be as optimistic as a 10% gain. I think I was looking for something like a 6 or 7% gain, um, which I think got me to around 6,700 or close to 7,000, in fact, when you do the maths on it. Um, but I, yeah, I'd, I'd lean to the view we'll see a reasonable year in the share market day, particularly once you add in the, in the dividends and franking credits. Um, I, I, I just don't think it's going to be as good as last year because last year um, benefited from recovery, albeit it was messy, um, rate rebound in profits and you know interest rates sort of going sideways at very low, low levels. So this year is not going to be quite as far as all of that. And we do have these geopolitical tensions around, which I think will put a bit of a lid on things. But for my money, I'd say we're still in a bull market, albeit it's uh, 
it's it's more constrained and going to be more volatile than it has been. Yeah, three weeks ago I wrote buy buy before May and stay. So I'm, I'm hoping that one works <laughs> this year. One last one, mate, because you know, all economists like you are now experts on the virus. BA two. Is it going to be like Omicron or Delta, or do you think the world will manage it? I think it'll be like Omicron um, and the world manage that. Unless you're China, where they have a zero COVID policy and they lock down. Mm. Anyway, they seem to be quite successful at that, but uh, and hopefully that doesn't cause major disruption. But if you look at the, the, the evidence would suggest that BA2 is more transmissible than BA1, which was the first version of Omicron, um, Denmark was one of the, uh, the earliest examples. They saw a wave there in, uh, in January. Um, but the message seems to be that it's not going to shut down economies. It may cause you know, disruptions like we saw with Omicron, you know, a few people off ill. Um, but even with Omicron, the first version of Omicron in January, the Aussie economy kept growing through that period. You just got to look at the retail sales figures for January and February. We actually did quite well. So I, I think it's more of the same. And I think the key to focus on in all of this is the hospitalisation rate and the death rate. And yes, hospitalisation numbers may go up as more people get Omicron BA2, but as long as the proportion of cases actually having to go to hospital or actually getting so ill that they pass away stays down or keeps going down, um, then I think we'll be able to get through this without major disruption. So I'm... I'm not overly concerned about BA2. I'm, I'm, I am a little bit more concerned that, you know, we haven't vaccinated enough of the world um, and there's still countries out there with very low vaccination rates where Omicron could always, uh, sorry, coronavirus could always morph into something else. But I think my base case is that the combination of vaccines, which seem to be heading off serious illness um, and hospitalisation and so on, um, the better treatments, if you do get ill and you get sick, you get better treatments around, and the fact that the coronavirus has morphed in a way which is less harmful, I think all those things are auguring well and suggesting the pandemic is, fingers crossed, touch wood, behind us and we're moving on to the endemic phase. But that doesn't mean that there won't be cases out there. There's still going to be cases out there. They're still going to be going up and down, but they're not going to have the disruptive effect they've had in the past. Well, Shane Oliver, I hope you're 100% right. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Well, joining us now is Dr. Nicola Powell of domain.com.au. Thanks for joining us, uh, Nicola. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, Nicola, uh, people, you know, obviously would love you for lots of other reasons, but the most important reason is predictions on prices. <laughs> <laughs> we love our, our properties so much, or we're trying to get a property. Prices predictions are very interesting. And a bit of conflict between what the banks are saying what do you think is going to happen to prices over 2022 nationally and then 2023? Yeah, look, it is uh, the most frequent question I'm asked if I'm ever at a dinner party, you know, where, where are property prices? When should I buy? When should I sell? Yeah. Um, you know, the crystal ball moments are, are very important. And I think particularly when you're getting into that changing market dynamics and what we're seeing particularly coming out of, of Sydney and Melbourne is that changing uh, market dynamics. 
I think, you know, what we're likely to see is a pullback in price, I think particularly so in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, There are headwinds for our property market, and that is obviously interest rates. And there is this inverse relationship between interest rate, the direction of interest rates and the direction of price growth um, and therefore demand as well. So I think, you know, for for 2020, the rest of this year, I think we'll see our smaller capital uh, capital cities shine through in terms of uh, stronger rates of growth, particularly so Adelaide and Brisbane are my picks and perhaps even Canberra. I mean, Canberra's had an extraordinary uh, uh, price mm-hmm. boom since the pandemic. But I think moving further into uh, 2023, you know, we are likely to see, we're already seeing price weakness this year in some of our premium end of Sydney. Um, I think we're likely to see those larger markets see a pullback in price. And, you know, I find it really interesting when we go into those downturns, we almost need a reminder of how much growth occurred during the upswing. Um, You know, I think there are some caveats around how far interest rates go in terms of, you know, how many interest rate hikes we have. And that will largely be uh, one of the main factors that will drive the price outcomes. Because if we see sharp uh, incremental increases in interest rates, that is going to have a dramatic impact on our demanding market and price growth. I don't think that the RBA will move that way. I think we'll see a, a, a slow approach from the RBA. Households are very much indebted and there is, um, you know, risk in that. So I think they have a slow approach. Um, so I think, you know, we will see a pullback in price. It's probably going to be um, sometime next year. We're starting to see our upper end of the market show weakness this year. But then as well, there's the other question um, around population growth, our international borders being reopened, whether we see, um, you know, policies coming from government around the intake of overseas migrants into Australia. And if we see that increase and if we see big drives in trying to attract uh, new migrants to Australia, that is going to have a flow on impact on demand. Yeah. So are you thinking 2022, if you take a city like Sydney or Melbourne, where you're going to get some suburbs going up and some suburbs going down, which is always the case uh, until recent times anyway, Um, are you sort of saying that you might see small price growth in those sorts of cities, but 2023 expect price falls? Look, I I think so. We could even end this year with some minor price falls in in Sydney or sideways growth, if you want to put it it that way. Um, I think, you know, that weakness is already starting to show um, in Sydney. And we know Sydney and Melbourne, the upper end of the market leads price cycles. They seem much more vulnerable during downturns, but they see bigger price upswings in in the growth phase. What we have seen is the upper end has uh, well and truly led price growth in Sydney and Melbourne. You know, that's areas like Northern Beach, eastern suburbs, uh, city and and inner south. Um, What we saw over our most recent quarter is eastern suburbs did see a price decline over the quarter. They're still showing annual growth, but they actually declined marginally over the quarter. And there's various other metrics that indicate that we're seeing this weakness uh, roll out. We've got lower clearance rates. It's a much more balanced auction market now. You know, we're seeing those clearance rates consolidate consolidate around those mid-60s. When you compare that to this time last year, it was about mid-80s. So, you know, huge difference in clearance rates. Um, We've seen new supply um, strong, particularly late last year and into the early parts of this year, 
And more importantly, we've seen a turnaround of overall stock on the market. So we're starting to see a buildup of supply. Um, that is more so in Sydney and Melbourne, again, compared to our other cities. When you have a look at the overall supply, you know, in, in Brisbane, in Adelaide, at the end of Feb, um, you know, we look at this at monthly, at the end of Feb, we were seeing total supply well below the five-year average for that time of year. So this is what I mean by those different dynamics. But I think, you know, that weakness is already there in some of our more premium areas of Sydney uh, and Melbourne. Uh, renting, what's the situation for renters around the country? Look, it's, it's a very challenging rental market. Um, you know, we have seen... Vacancy rates, you know, when you look back at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw vacancy rates bounce. It was concentrated around um, universities and CBDs, particularly so in Sydney and Melbourne, because they uh, welcome more overseas migrants than uh, other cities. And obviously that tap of, you know, foreign students, overseas migrants into Australia had stopped. What we've seen now is a, a remarkable recovery that's coming out of, of Melbourne in terms of its vacancy rate. We had seen the vacancy rate in the CBD peak at about 15%, which is a huge vacancy rate. Mm. We have seen that pullback substantially. It's sitting at around roughly 4%. Um, but we've seen the rental markets recover uh, or recover, still recovering in some areas. But largely, it's a landlord's market across all of our, our cities. Um, I think it's challenging for tenants. Um, you know, some of our, there's some areas where it is near on impossible to find a vacant rental. Um, the flip side of that, though, is we have got a rising investment activity. So we're seeing more investors come back into the market. When you look at the most recent data from the ABS, uh, the value of home loans to investors had, had reached a record high for the most recent month. So we're seeing them come back into the market. Proportionately, it was only back to around 2019 in terms of investment activity, but hopefully that will translate and help to ease some conditions for tenants. But I think international borders are reopened. We know most overseas migrants rent upon arrival. While we've started to see uh, overseas migration, international students return, it's going to be some time before we're anywhere near the levels we were at pre-pandemic. Um, but I think rental markets are tight. We've got largely record high rents across most cities, um, particularly so for houses, particularly in our kind of outer suburban locations as well. Um, the upcoming election um, with the ARP looking like favourites to win, is that a good thing for Canberra? Because the AOP tends to grow the public sector. When you grow the public sector, it ultimately brings more people into Canberra. Is there any any sort of academic work done on that kind of link between a Labor government and Canberra house prices? Look, not that I'm aware of, but that's a really good idea. Um, and I think, you know, the thing with Canberra, you know, it is... Uh, a public service city, there is a large proportion of the uh, working population who are employed by either, you know, the local or the federal government, or there's lots of businesses that are reliant on public sector spending. So it's a really interesting dynamic. You know, you've got a very high average, it's the highest average wage out of all of our major capital cities. That in itself has a flow and effect on, you know, house prices, because, you know, we it has uh, the highest average range. So 
technically there is more disposable income in the ACT. You know, it's why prices, one of the reasons why I think prices have risen uh, so dramatically since the pandemic in the ACT, obviously many other factors. But I think what's interesting is I, I do track population movements and I know that there is a relationship between uh, internal migration when it goes into positive into Canberra it generally translates into higher property prices. And so I think we can make the assumption that that's probably partly the ebbs and flows of uh, public sector employment. Yeah, okay. My last question, I get this question all the time. Um, when a market slows down and um, do we start seeing more um, properties put on the market and therefore effectively more ads for a business like domain.com.au? So if I've interpreted that question correctly, what we see when a market slows down, and this is exactly what we're seeing right now, um, you start to see a buildup of stock. Um, we see it's it's almost behavioural when it comes to somebody trying to, you know, wanting to sell their home. You want to sell at the peak uh, and you want to buy at the trough. And what, you what we're finding at the moment is new listings have been strong. But at the same time, demand is weakening. So we're seeing ultimately listings come to the market quicker than they are being purchased. And that overall translates into a buildup of stock over time. And that buildup of stock over time provides buyers with much greater opportunity to negotiate on their price. And what it means is that vendors need to be a little bit more strategic and realistic on their pricing expectation. But it also means that ads might be on longer on a, on a website like yours because it's just not moving as quickly. You do see time on market increase. Um, you know that is one of the dynamics of you know slowing down uh, of a market slowing down is that it does take longer to sell. I think the key though is um, it depends if the property is priced to what the market is willing to pay. And that is the key dynamic, is making sure that you understand those market dynamics, making sure you know, you're know you talking to your agent about pricing the home right um, to get that sale uh, in a speedy, speedy time. Nicola, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And that was Dr. Nicola Powell of domain.com.au. And remember, if you want more information about what you might want to invest in, or maybe even sell, think about becoming a subscriber to the Switzer Report. Go to switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you on Monday night.